0: Well, good morning, everybody. We're going to um, read the scriptures today, so we're going to ask you uh, to open up your Bibles to Numbers chapter 13. Numbers chapter 13. Uh, it's in the Bible in the pew in front of you, very early on uh, in the book, in the Old Testament. And um, we're going to read uh, 1 one and 2 and 17 through 33, and um, Lucy Brown and I are going to share. She's going to start out, and then uh, I'm going to finish, so... Numbers chapter 13, verses 1 and 2, and then 17 through 33. The, Lord's, the Lord spoke to Moses. He said, Send some men to check out the land of Canaan. I'm giving it to the people of Israel. Send one leader from each of Israel's tribes. Moses sent them to check out Canaan. He said, Go up through the Negev desert, go on into the central hill country. See what what the land is like. See whether the people who live there are strong or weak. See whether there are few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Do the towns have high walls around them or not? How is the soil? Is it rich land or poor land? Are there trees on it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. It was the season of the first ripe grape. So they went up and explored the land from the desert of Sin as far as Rehob toward Le- Lebo Hamath. They went up through the Negev and came to Hebron where Ahiman, Sheshai, and Talmai, the descendants of Anak, lived. Hebron had been built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. When they reached the valley of Eshkal they cut off a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes Two of them carried it on a pole between them, along with some pomegranates and figs. That place was called the Valley of Eshcol because of the cluster of grapes the Israelites cut off there. At the end of 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country. And the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, The land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak came from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. Friends, this is God's word for us today. Thank you so much, God, for your powerful word which speaks to us not only ancient stories, but current realities. We pray that it will speak to us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Lucy. Yay. So I was going to have a backup. Lucy was ready to preach here in case it didn't work out for me. (laughs) Maybe she didn't know that. Oh, it's great to be back. It's great to be uh, back home. Pastor Kristen and I were gone for a couple weeks of vacation, and then, of course, last week we were uh, at Midway, and that was a powerful, wonderful time, but it's good to be back in this place. It feels like home uh, to be uh, in this particular sanctuary And um, I hope that you've been reading God's Word this summer. That's been one of the big blessings for me, has been to just kind of uh, have an opportunity to settle in and to really soak in things. I've been soaking in Psalms that I didn't really, uh, uh, you know, I've kind of read over them many times, but like somehow it's been coming alive. And what was so cool this week is that I was uh, reading Psalm 47 and it was... um, uh, it was meaningful to me, and I was thinking, wow, I remember when I was in college, I sang a song uh, in college choir about this psalm, uh, but I don't have a tape of that or a CD or anything. I, I have no, uh, I can only just remember certain uh, parts of it. And the next day, uh, one of my friends from college put onto uh, Facebook, he said, um, I found this recording of um, the college choir in. Uh, Uh, 1987. Yes, that's a long time ago, and uh, and uh, does this is this something anybody recognizes? And it was that concert that had that particular song in it, and I hadn't heard that song for 33 years, and I was just wow, God is good, God makes it uh, His word come alive, and uh, so powerful. So I hope that you are uh, taking the opportunity that summertime. Uh, Often uh, provides to just uh, spend a little more time in God's Word and uh, soak that in. It's rich. It's full of grace and truth. Well, throughout this summer, we've uh, been following the story of the Israelites' experiences in the wilderness. And in these last few weeks, uh, man, these guys have been out there for a long time, and we're uh, we're just trying to get home. We're just trying to get these people back or or to the promised land. And um, and yet today. Uh, we see that they come upon a moment where they're going to be sent on a very uh, tough detour. Um, And this is one of those stories in the Bible, when I read it, uh, and when I think about it later, I think this is one of those warning stories. This is one of those moments where it's like, uh, pay attention, because even God's people can come right up to the brink of goodness And step away. The context this morning is that they have been in the wilderness for more than two years. We know that from Numbers chapter 1. They've walked all the way from Egypt. And every single day, there's been a huge cloudy pillar which leads them. And at night, that turns into a, a huge pillar of fire. Now, every day, they see that. That's a miracle. That's happening in front of their, their, their very eyes every day. Something to build faith for them. They've seen God bring water from a rock where there was no water at all. They've received manna every single morning and quail every single evening have flown into their camp just to settle there so that they could eat some meat as well as the manna, which is a bread-like substance. They've seen God change bad water into good water. They've had a really, really bad experience with the, the golden calf where Moses is up on Mount Sinai and they're kind of like, where is this guy? Okay, let's create our own God. And so they do that and uh, they get seriously uh, uh, reprimanded for that. They repent um, and God forgives them. And then Moses brings them the, uh, the Ten Commandments and, and uh, God gives the law through Moses uh, to them. They've seen God communicate with Moses so closely that when he comes out of the tent of meeting where he goes to talk with God, his face is like glowing. It's glowing so brightly that people are like, please, please put a veil over it because you, are, you have been in the presence of God, Moses. They've seen clothes that have not worn out. Now, I just want you to know, I've lived outside For six and a half months, one time in my life, and my clothes wore out. I wasn't wearing the same clothes at the beginning as I was at the end. They have clothes, though they walk most days through the desert, that have not worn out. And now they're at the desert of Paran, which is just south of sort of what we would we would say is Israel right now. They're anticipating God leading them into the promised land. This is the moment. This is when they left Egypt, God was saying, I'm going to take you to a special place, a land flowing with milk and honey, a land which is amazing and wonderful. And they have come all the way to this moment. This is what the whole trip is about, escaping slavery, going through the difficulty of the wilderness, the desert, and now coming into the promised land. And this is where we pick the story up today. Now, it's fascinating to me that in the very first verse, it says, the Lord told Moses to send out men to explore the land of Canaan. Now, did God need like a report or something? Was, Was this a reconnaissance mission for his sake? No, no. I mean, think about it. God could have told Moses everything they needed to know about this new land. This was not an information gathering moment for God, but it's an opportunity for them to see with their own eyes what they're headed into. And sometimes, you know, when you look at something and you own it for yourself, you just understand it a lot better. Uh, uh, My daughter Emily is uh, leading a a backpacking um, wilderness trip right now, 10 days, and they're somewhere in the Adirondacks. And um, uh, when we first started backpacking, uh, sometimes as a family, I would say, okay, don't bring anything extra that you don't want, that you don't want to carry the whole way. Okay, okay. Yeah, but I'm going to bring this book, and I'm going to bring like three extra shirts, and I'm going to bring all this stuff. And, you know, it only takes about one day to be out there, and you're like, oh, why did I do this? And then, and then you begin to own it for yourself. It's not somebody else saying, you know, Hey, don't 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 bring extra stuff. You're like, I'm not bringing extra stuff. So when Emily left for the trip uh, uh, last week, she and I sat down. She's like, Dad, I'm going through my stuff, and I'm just going to tell you what I'm going to leave behind. And so she goes through it all, and then she just looks at me. And she's like, Okay, I'm getting rid of this shirt. Okay, now I'm not going to bring that book. Okay, and she just like go, and it was like she owned it for her. I didn't really have to say it. She owned it for herself. God wants them to go into the promised land and look with their own eyes to see what they will discover. And he also tells Moses to instruct one person from each tribe to go. I think that's interesting because, you know, I'm sure that there was rivalry within the tribes. Oh, is that what Reuben says? Yeah. Well, we all know what he's like. We all know what they're like. We need to see it for ourselves. We need a trusted leader of ourselves. So this is like, this is, I mean, just imagine this. This is like 12 different churches, okay, sitting out somewhere. And they're like, okay, we're going to send these people forward to give us information. Now, what would be the wise thing? One person from each church, right? Because when they come back, they can be like, okay, everybody else was crazy. But let me tell you what it was like, all right? And people will believe folks from their own tribe. So God instructs them, go check it out. Uh, Bring one person from each tribe. He's helping them to see the goodness that lies before them. But he's also helping them to see, this is a situation where you're going to have to depend fully on me. Will you do it? Moses sends out the 12 leaders. They're they're 12 spies. Uh, they're, They're leaders from their tribes. They're trusted men. They're people who have had some level of faith and significant leadership so that they, uh, they're, they're, people, they're people of God. They're godly people. They're people who have followed God for two years uh, plus in the wilderness. These are the people who have been chosen to go see this land, and they go spend 40 days exploring this country. Now, when you camp with somebody for like one night, you feel like, wow, we, boy, we really connected. I mean, that was great. We sat around the campfire. If you camp with somebody for 40 days, man, you're tight or else you hate them. <laughs> One of the two. These guys really know who, they, who each other are at this point. They've spent 40 days trekking around and they do a detailed analysis of the land. Who are the people? How many are there? Uh, a lot? A little? Are they strong? Are they weak? What are the cities like? Are there walls? Are there no walls? What's the agricultural situation like? What's the soil like? Etc. They check out all this stuff. Moses tells them to bring back some crops so that people can see kind of what's blooming there, what's, uh, what's to be harvested right there. It's going to be a good object lesson. See, God is faithful. He's got stuff waiting for us there. And so they explore the whole place and they're moving pretty well because from where they leave to where they end up, it's like 150 plus miles to, to the top of Israel and, and, and then, of course, they have to return. Rehob and Lebo Hamath, I looked this up. They're like way, they're north of Damascus. They're, they're in Syria in current day, Syria, they're, they're sort of equal to Lebanon. I mean, these guys didn't just like, you, know, putter around the countryside a little bit and go, "Yeah, I kinda, yeah, it looks kind of gut over there. Let's just not go there. That's really far away." They went there. And they went really far. They checked the whole place out. And they bring back pomegranates and figs. And also this cluster of grapes that's so big that two of them have to carry it on a pole between them. Now, seriously? I I don't exactly know what that is. But I'm impressed because I've been to Westfield and I haven't seen any two-man pole carrying (laughs) grapes down there. But this is serious. So this is abundance. Something amazing is there. And they bring their report. We've checked out the whole place. It is amazing. This is their report. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. Now, I look that up too because I'm like, what exactly does that mean? And you know what? Interpreters will argue about that. Isn't that great? Some people are like, Milk and honey, these are things you don't have to do anything. The goats just produce the milk, and the bees just produce the honey, and you just, you just get it. It's just easy, it's, it's abundance. And other interpreters say, uh uh-uh. uh, goats have to be herded through all sorts of crazy places, and then you gotta catch, uh, find them, and then you gotta, you know, milk them and everything. And, and honey is, it wasn't cultivated in nice apiaries like we have now. It's like in the rocks and in trees, and you gotta go find it, and it just shows how God. It gives you, but you have to, to work for it. And, and about a thousand other things. And finally, here's, here's the gist of it. It's an abundant place. It's like their little phrase to say, there is fertile land. There is more than just your needs being met. This isn't a place where we're just scraping by. This is a lush, fertile, wonderful place You'll want to be here. And that is a nice report, and then it's followed by these words. But the people are powerful. The cities are fortified and large. We saw descendants of Anak, which uh, I believe uh, Goliath is a descendant of Anak. It's like this, you know, folks who are really big. And all regions are occupied. The desert is occupied by the Amalekites. The hills are occupied by the Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites. The plains are occupied by the Canaanites. Lucy, aren't you glad I didn't make you say all those words? You're welcome. (laughs) And so this is the crucial moment. This is an amazing place. And there are some obstacles. Nobody disputes the initial report. It's accurate. It's not denied. This is the situation. But, friends, it's how you respond to the situation that counts. And it's the attitude that comes forth in this moment, which is either one of faith or fear. Caleb says, and Joshua backs him up in chapter 14, the next chapter let's go take the land. We can do it. Here are his words. We should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it. Okay, there are obstacles, but this is where God has led us. Let's keep being faithful and continuing to have confidence in the Lord. An attitude of courage and faith is what he displays. Friends, true leadership is dependent on high faith in God. If anybody's walking around saying, we can do this by by ourselves, don't follow them. But at the same time, if anybody's walking around saying, we got no chance, don't follow them either. That's not from God. We see that from the next 10 spies. Caleb and Joshua are the first two, then the other 10 report. They say the exact opposite. It's too hard. We can't attack these people. They're stronger than us. We can't go there at all. This is a dead end. They intentionally spread the word among the people, not to Moses. So they've given their report, and then they go out and they just start filtering through the people. Let me tell you how bad it really is. They're divisive. Don't listen to anyone who's divisive. In any part of your life, if somebody is coming along and telling you about your spouse and trying to be, like, get you to, 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 to somehow be in conflict, don't listen to that person. If somebody's coming along and saying anything about the church or about where you work, if they're they're not saying, how can we see God in this situation? How can we trust the Lord for this situation? Instead, if they're saying, let me tell you all the bad things. Don't listen to that person. That's being just like the spies. They go out amongst the people. They start to really sell their fear. I don't think these people got it the first time. Have you ever noticed when somebody wants to really ramp up the pressure and they're scared, they they start selling fear more and more? Fear creates more fear. Anyone spreading fear is not a person to listen to. They begin to exaggerate. They say, they literally say, this is a land that devours those who live in it. The Jebusites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Amalekites, the Canaanites. Are those folks being devoured? They're sitting there. These are people of great size. Not just, these are the folks who are the descendants of Anak. No, they're huge. It's like Fusillo Chevrolet. They're huge. <laughs> Without, okay, I love that guy. Billy Fusillo He's awesome. I t- every time that comes on, I'm like, I turn it up, and Pastor Chris is like, No, I don't want to hear it. It's the same thing with George from Extreme Discount Mattress. I love that guy. He's like so mad about all those other people that are selling you bad mattresses. Yes, George. All right, this is huge. These people are huge. And then they pull out the nuclear option. We saw the Nephilim there. The Nephilim were these ancient beings that we see referred to in Genesis. No one knows what it means. They're, they're some sort of ancient, strong being. I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. But everybody in that time knows that if you see Nephilim, Wah! that's like the aliens have arrived. Bigfoot. The Nephilim. And then it's like, well, okay, all right, we didn't actually see the Nephilim, but we saw the descendants of Anak, and everyone knows they're straight from the Nephilim. See, they're just ramping this. And people are like, oh my gosh. And then they they this is the final statement. This is an amazing statement. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. Does that not tell you? What they're, where they are in their souls. We looked at them, we looked at us, and we were scared. We were grasshoppers compared to them. These ten men reflect their fear. We're not able to do this. We're tiny compared to them. And then they project that fear onto the Canaanites as well. They think we're tiny too. And they think we can't do it either. They know we're weak. They're stoking fear and division. The attitude of the spies is not faith. It's fear. And you'll notice that in everything they said, they left God out. We can't do this. We can't do that. They're bigger than us. We're smaller than them. We, we, we. But never, never God is able. God has brought us here. God is faithful. God can handle anything. God is powerful. What happens next is fascinating. In in chapter 14, the whole nation loses its collective nerve. They decide that the obstacles are too great. They start shouting, We'll die by the sword. Our women and children will be enslaved. They literally say, We should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. It's been more than two years. There's a giant dead Red Sea that's closed off that they can't do this. And yet they're like, you know what? We're so scared of this thing which God has been leading us towards. And at the last moment, we take it a good look in the face and we're like, oh, we can't do it. We're ready to bail and go back to Egypt. They talk seriously, it says, about stoning Moses, Aaron, Caleb, and Joshua. Caleb and Joshua plead with them. The land is exceedingly good. If God is with us, we'll take the land. Don't rebel against God. The Canaanites have no power. They say this, we will devour them. The Lord is with us. Don't be afraid. That's their message. And God's response in chapter 14, how long are these people going to treat me with contempt? Do you realize that when you function out of fear, you are treating God with contempt. You are looking God in the face, and you're saying, you brought me right to this place, and you, God, I don't trust you. You brought me through all this stuff. Every single day, there was a pillar of cloud, and every night, a pillar of fire. Every single morning, there was manna, and every single night, there was quail. Every single time they ran out of water, God provided it. God brought them Through the Red Sea, he wiped out the most powerful army in in the world at that time, the Egyptian army. He wiped them out to save these people. And they get up to Canaan. They get right on the brink and they look God in the face and they say, "Uh, you can't do it. And God says, how long will they treat me with contempt? Moses prays. He says, God, don't destroy these people. And the Lord says, okay, But here's the deal for every day the spies were in the wilderness you're going to spend another year yourself in the wilderness every day the spies were in the promised land checking it out you're going to spend another year in the wilderness they were in the promised land for 40 days you're going to spend 40 years in the wilderness wandering around until every single person who's 20 years old or older who left egypt and who has seen everything that I've shown you up to this point, every single person will die in the wilderness. You, would, you just will, except for Joshua and Caleb, who have been faithful and who have believed that I can do it. And as well, it says that the other ten spies were immediately struck down with a plague and died. Those respected leaders of those ten tribes who had led people into fear and lack of trust in God because of their faithlessness, God sends them to their deaths. And God sends all of Israel on a long, tough detour. You know, I I know when I look out at this congregation, I know that some of us face really, really difficult things. I know that there are folks who are facing illness which is life-threatening. I know that there are folks who have been hurt badly. I know that there are folks who are looking at their loved ones who are in big trouble and wondering what can we do. I know that there are folks who are struggling with addiction or for whom debt is overwhelming Or frankly, just because of the chemical processes of your brain, you struggle with depression. You wake up in the morning and everything should be fine, but something inside makes you feel down. I know there are folks who are struggling with their marriages. There are folks who are in jobs which feel like dead ends. There are folks who are looking at their elderly parents and saying, how are we going to handle this? There are folks who are looking at their kids and saying, "How are we going to handle this?" <laughs> and there's folks who have coworkers or friends at school or enemies at school or neighbors or somebody who is just super frustrating. And we're all tempted to look at this and wonder, "Is God still with us?" Is he able And I want you to know that every single day you can choose to have an attitude of faith instead of an attitude of fear. You can choose that. And part of that choice sometimes is saying I can't even conjure even the littlest bit of faith. And that's when you turn to God and say I got nothing God but will you grow faith in me? So you can choose to pray that prayer or you can just Try to handle it on your own. This is one of the reasons why Pastor Christian and I urge you to, to spend a little time in the Word of God every day, to spend some time talking to God every day, to show up to church every Sunday, to be involved in some kind of small group or some opportunity where other people are praying for you, where you have an opportunity to be encouraged. Because when we look at the challenges that life throws in our direction, we are constantly reminded... That we cannot handle this on our own, but if God is with us, then we can head into any promised land, into any situation, and God will take care of every obstacle, every walled city, every Nephilim, Bigfoot Loch Ness Master. <laughs> you know, we just sang these words, oh God, the glory is yours. The kingdom has come. The battle is over. Jesus, in your name we rise. The glory is yours. The glory is yours. Let's let them have the glory. If we try to do it on our own, first, we'll fail. Secondly, there will be no glory. If we step out in faith, the glory will be God's. The battle has been won, friends, Death has been defeated by Jesus on the cross. Anything we face is not comparable to that. Great are you, Lord, we sang. Is God great? Then let's give up our anxiety. Let's choose faith instead of fear. What are we worried about? What keeps waking us up? We have nothing to fear. Nothing to fear to fear listen to these words of the israelites right after they were delivered at the red sea who among the gods is like you o lord who is like you majestic and in holiness awesome in glory working wonders in your strength you'll guide your people to their holy dwelling their promised land the nations will hear and tremble and anguish will grip the people of Canaan. They will melt away. Terror and dread will fall on them. And yet, and yet, and yet, when they got to the edge of the promised land, they said, Oh, the land of ours, those who live in it. The people are huge. We've seen the Nephilim. We're like grasshoppers. Friends, grasshoppers kill us. Don't go there. You are not like a grasshopper. You are a child of God filled with His Spirit and there is nothing to fear. Let's pray. God, thank You so much. We are so glad to be in Your presence this morning. We are so grateful and we love You. We just for a few seconds here, just soak in your presence, God. You are awesome. You are majestic and holy. And you have brought us to this place in our lives, individually, as families, in our workplaces, at our church. You've brought us to this place. And may we be people who embrace Faith, because you're with us. And not fear, because that leads to nothing. We pray all this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen. Friends, go out into the world with faith and spread that everywhere. Amen.